I'm Katia Adler, host of The Global Story. Over the last 25 years, I've covered conflicts in the Middle East, political and economic crises in Europe, drug cartels in Mexico. Now I'm covering the stories behind the news all over the world in conversation with those who break it. Join me Monday to Friday to find out what's happening, why, and what it all means. Follow The Global Story from the BBC wherever you listen to podcasts. This is your moment, your time to shine, your comeback. You're ready for the next step in your career, and you want an education employers respect. So you're not just going back to school. You're coming back with Purdue Global. Backed by Purdue University, one of the nation's most respected public universities, Purdue Global is built for people who bring their life experience into the online classroom. Purdue Global, Purdue's online university for working adults. Start your comeback today at purdueglobal.edu. Hey, I'm Jay Shetty, and I'm the host of the On Purpose podcast, and I had the opportunity to talk to one of Hollywood's major icons, Michael B. Jordan. In our conversation, Michael shares the highs, the lows, and everything in between, offering a genuine glimpse into his world. The closest to getting what you want is always the hardest. People give up right before they get what they've always wanted to get. Listen to On Purpose with Jay Shetty on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. There's a lot happening these days, but I have just the thing to get you up to speed on what matters without taking too much of your time. The 7 from the Washington Post is a podcast that gives you the seven most important and interesting stories, and we always try to save room for something fun. You get it all in about seven minutes or less. I'm Hannah Jewell. I'll get you caught up with The 7 every weekday. So follow The 7 right now. The Therapy for Black Girls podcast is your space to explore mental health, personal development, and all the small decisions we can make to become the best possible versions of ourselves. I'm your host, Dr. Joy Harden-Bradford, a licensed psychologist in Atlanta, Georgia, and I can't wait for you to join the conversation every Wednesday. Listen to the Therapy for Black Girls podcast on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Take good care, and we'll see you there. This is the Anxiety Bites podcast, and I am your host, Jen Kirkman. In my work life, I'm a comedian and a writer, but in my real life, what I think of myself as is someone who has had generalized anxiety disorder, panic disorder, undiagnosed for 10 years, then diagnosed, and have had both for decades. I'm in a better place with all of it, and I have the time to try to help other people just by talking to people who have a lot of answers for us and by trying to normalize that it's okay to talk about this stuff and uh, to even have fun doing it. So Sharon Salzberg, I cannot believe she said yes to doing this podcast. This is how great she is. This podcast had not premiered yet and she agreed to come on to be a guest. (laughs) That's right, everybody. I'm letting you in behind the curtain. Some of these interviews were conducted months before the premiere date, but You know, she didn't know what she was getting herself into, and she said yes, and and for that, I love her. But I can just geek out on her all day. You'll hear that in the interview. But Sharon is the author of 11 books, including Loving Kindness, the New York Times bestseller, Real Happiness, and her 2017 book, Real Love, The Art of Mindful Connection, and her newest book, Real Change, Mindfulness to Heal Ourselves in the World. 
1970, Sharon went to India for an independent study program, and she returned to America in 1974 and began teaching Vipassana, insight meditation. In 1976, she established, together with Joseph Goldstein and Jack Kornfield, the Insight Meditation Society in Barrie, Massachusetts, which now ranks as one of the most prominent and active meditation centers in the Western world. Her meditations can be heard on the Insight Timer app. She's a frequent guest on the 10% Happier podcast, and she hosts her own podcast, The Meta Hour, which features over 100 interviews with the top leaders and voices in the mindfulness and meditation movement. All of the info on how to find Sharon for free and to buy her work is in the show notes. So before we get to Sharon, I'll just, I'll tell you what meditation means to me. Um, I'll never forget a friend of mine asked me for advice on anxiety. And she said, but before you answer me, do not tell me to fucking meditate. And I know a lot of you, listen, if you are still listening, despite the word meditation being in this week's show description, thank you. I know that because everyone is talking about it now that it can be overwhelming and annoying. You hear the words meditation, you hear the words mindfulness, and you're like, ugh, you know, we, you scroll through Instagram, there are influencers talking about it. It just seems like the latest trend. And in a way, it is. But it doesn't mean that mindfulness and that meditation are trends and not to be taken seriously. It's the way they are being capitalized on in this moment that is very annoying. But if you can stick with us, you're going to be hearing from someone who really knows their shit. I couldn't think of a better way to put it. They know their shit. So I do meditate. It's one of the tools in my anxiety toolkit. I learned about it in the late 1990s from a therapist. And again, I didn't even, I'd never heard the word mindful before. You know, it wasn't a buzzword yet. So I think I was a little more, I'm not not susceptible, but I was a little more open to it because I hadn't been bombarded. But before this, I thought meditation was a religion. I didn't even know that It had anything to do with going hand in hand with cognitive behavior therapy or anything to do with psychology or that it even had healthy physical effects on people. I had no idea. I just thought, oh, I don't know. People do it to get closer to God or something. I don't know. That's not my thing. And, you know, obviously a lot of my anxiety comes from runaway thoughts that I don't even know that I'm thinking. And that's where meditation has helped me. Now, it is a daily discipline. I do meditate 10 minutes a day. And then sometimes I don't meditate at all. And on those days, there's never, I'm never too busy. I always have 10 minutes. You know, I had spent 10 minutes on Twitter that day when I could have been meditating, but that's just how it is. It's one of those things where it can be impossible to work yourself up to. And then once you do it, it's like, what was the big deal? Why was I avoiding that all day? The thing is, I think people think that meditation is this thing you do. You know, you get your room all set up. You, you've got the perfect candle and the perfect blanket. And you've got a white noise machine. And maybe you even bought a Buddha statue. And, you know, I've got to feel in a spiritual mood to go meditate. And nobody wakes up in a spiritual mood. I don't even know if there's such a thing as a spiritual mood. But meditation is supposed to meet us where we are. Meditation doesn't want us to come to it in a flowing robe if that's not our normal, you know, daily attire. But the way I look at it, meditation is on our side. It's a practice that says to us, whatever you're thinking and feeling is totally normal and okay. I'm just here to help you notice it. And we'll talk with Sharon, you know, the the biggest misconception about meditation is that it's about clearing your mind. It is not about, not mindfulness. Mindfulness is about noticing your mind. So the busier your mind is, sorry, get on that cushion because probably, quote, the better you might even be at mindfulness because it's just about noticing all of your thoughts. 
And once you start to notice your thoughts very deliberately, 10 minutes a day, over the course of weeks, months, it does start to change the way you think and the way you react to things and the way you go about your everyday. But I too have a complicated relationship with meditation. You know, if I don't do it the first thing when I get up, it looms as this big giant thing I have to do. And I know that people who don't meditate obviously can also have a complicated relationship with meditation. I think it's one of those words that just gets a reaction from people. Nobody's neutral when you say to them, you know, you should meditate. Nobody goes, oh, maybe I will. No, I've never had that happen. But I can tell you right now, just sit back, enjoy this episode, and really get to know what meditation is. Don't confuse an ancient practice that's become trendy and commodified by some as the practice itself. It's really just about learning that with enough practice, we can be in the middle of a road rage and suddenly realize that we've just noticed our thoughts instead of acting on them. And yes, that's, that's an example from my real life. So talking with Sharon today, I wanted to get into the mind of someone who might be listening to this podcast who just wants to know, just tell me how I do this thing and what is the truth about it supposed to be? Someone who's already heard, there's no right way to meditate. You can start just doing five minutes a day. You know, I'm sure you've heard all that before, but I wanted to dig deeper. What stops people from trying it? Is it perfectionism, fear of sitting in their own thoughts? Is it that people don't understand exactly what meditation is and that's why they're hesitant? So we're talking to Sharon about all of this in the first part of my interview with her on Anxiety Bites. Here we go. Today on the show, my guest is a hero of mine, Sharon Salzberg. Sharon, thank you for being here. Oh, I'm delighted, really. Thank you. Let's get right into it. So this will be the first episode that deals entirely with meditation. I have to be honest. I I said I'm going to drop it in after we've aired a few episodes already, and then I'm throwing the M word at everybody. Now, I use meditation as one of the tools in my anxiety toolkit, but when people have asked me for advice, you know, how do you deal with your anxiety? Before I can even take a breath to answer them, they'll say, but don't tell me to meditate. (laughs) Now, why do you think people react this way? I mean, preemptively even, where they say they don't want to meditate. Is this new? I mean, you've been meditating for decades. Uh, Have you heard this before? What is going on with that? Well, I think it's been this way always, but in different ways for different reasons. And I can well imagine, given some of the associations people have with meditation, that it's an absolutely excruciating idea, especially if you're like a high energy person, you know, leaning over into anxious and Um, the thought of, you know, having to sit still in a pretzel-like posture with your eyes closed, not moving for three hours or whatever, you know, and not having any thoughts or even just being alone with your thoughts and and having just this run. I mean, it it is excruciating and I don't blame them one bit (laughs) for not finding it appealing. But the reality of meditation is, first of all, it's so much broader than that. Mm-hmm. And, it, you know, you don't have to sit in a pretzel-like posture. You don't have to be uncomfortable. You don't have to do it for hours at a time. Um, neuroscience actually says, well, I've heard two different things. Mm-hmm. One neuroscientist told me seven to nine minutes a day will change your brain. And another neuroscientist told me 12 minutes a day. So nobody actually knows, of course, but also no one is saying you have to do this for six hours a day, you know, and struggle and in order to have even measurable effects. 
on your brain. And so, you know, and it's also not the case that we meditate to wipe out thinking, you know, which would be impossible anyway. But we're trying to change our relationship to everything, our physical experience, sensations, our emotions, our thoughts, because uh, we want to have choice. We want to be empowered, you know, not to wipe out an experience, but to relate to it differently. You know, maybe we don't have to take every thought to heart. Maybe Mm. we don't have to um, be defined by certain emotions, things like that. And so uh, there, and there's so many ways, you know, you can practice meditation walking. Um, You can do it lying down. You could do it uh, using a word or a mantra. You can do it using the breath. And it's like this fabulous period of experimentation if you're if you're enthused to try, you know, rather than feeling I have to do it this way. I think that's important. Like if people could at the very least maybe adjust their approach to it and think of it as something to be enthused about, you know, and it's interesting because I'm a daily meditator. I try to do it before I even leave my bedroom so that I make sure that I do it that day. Of course, today I didn't do it because I knew I was interviewing you and I was excited and nervous and so I thought, well, geez, I have 20 minutes before we log on with Sharon. This would be a great time to meditate. And I went, no, I'm not going to. I'm going to make coffee. I'm going to stay jacked up. Like it was, you know, every day it's like I wake up and I'm a beginner again because I have to tell myself to do it, right? Do you still experience that? Or I imagine you are kind of beyond that now. Yeah, it's not so much that. I mean, I, have, I just had an anniversary. I've been meditating for 50 years. You can believe that, you know, which is ridiculous. I mean, the passage of time is one of the most absurd things ever, you know. (laughs) Does meditation at all help with that feeling that life is flying by or no? Uh, Well, I think it is flying by. (laughs) But uh, meditation helps with a lot of of aspects of things. Yeah. Um, You know, I I think that uh, it does get to be more natural. And there are also ways of... structuring the practice so that you feel support. So for example, um, I always say to people, make a reasonable commitment. Mm-hmm. You know, is that five minutes a day? Is that seven to nine minutes a day? Is it three minutes a day? And for how long? And so you will find the difference in your life, which is where it counts. And and so it's those two things, find a reasonable structure. Yeah. Don't worry about what you're experiencing in that five or 10 or 20 minute period each day, whatever it is, and look at your life for for changes. And then there's really another thing, which is find a supportive community if you can, whether that's, you know, online these days or, or whatever. It's just something mm-hmm. um, that helps so you don't feel you're doing it all alone. I'm just going to push back a little bit on the notion of, hey, you know, just start out with two to five minutes. I mean, I it is true. There are days that I just, well, listen, there's never any day where I only have two minutes to meditate. If my life was that busy, I, that's a problem if I'm not, you know, the president. But I now say, well, I'm only going to make two minutes, time for two minutes today. I'm, I'm in, let's be honest, and, and I'll do it. But I've been reading this great book by this psychiatrist named Dr. Bourne, He wrote this amazing book called The Anxiety and and Phobia Workbook. And there's an entire chapter on perfectionism and how the root of a ton of anxiety is not that there's nuclear bombs or that, you know, we had a hard childhood. It's that we're perfectionists. And 
it's hard to say to someone, no, 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 it's totally fine to meditate for just two minutes if you're starting. People are like, I don't believe that. You're just being nice because you're a meditator person, but there's a right way to do it. And that involves going on a retreat for 10 days or, you know, it's impossible. Like, how do you, do you come across a lot of people that you can sort of detect the perfectionism is what's stopping them? And, and what, is there anything else you can say beyond, okay, really, you can just do it for two minutes? How do you get through to them? Well, I, I think, I, of course, they do, you know, meet many perfectionists, but I don't know that it comes out so much in the sense of the form or the structure, but more the idea of what people think they should be experiencing, which I yeah. can get to in a minute. But in terms of the form and the structure, I'd actually give them data. I mean, these are real neuroscientists I talk to, yeah, you know, who each have their own labs who are very prominent in the field of studying the brain and meditation. And even though they had somewhat different perspectives, you know, they had different numbers. They were in the neighborhood of one another, you know. Yeah, those seven to nine minutes. Did did they say how how long it takes? Like, in other words, is it a month of doing that for seven to nine minutes? It's about a month. Yeah, it's that's a a short amount of time. And then you have to keep going because it will start to fade, you know. But yeah, this is like getting the practice into place, you know, and having it having it work for you. And so. the second, well, the first neuroscientist, I'll just say, was Richie Davidson, who has a lab at the University of Wisconsin at Madison. Um, he has many books about meditation and, and the brain. And um, he said seven to nine minutes a day. So, I mean, again, no one knows for sure, clearly. But but there is there is some science behind this, if that's going to help for yeah. you to feel, okay, it's it's worth doing. I find that perfectionism really comes out, and it certainly came out of me, mm-hmm. uh, with the idea of what I think or we think we should be experiencing. And so, you know... While, while we're the, meditating, you mean? While we're meditating, you know? And so um, now, of course, I'm not in any social situations, but back when I was, like a year and a half ago, if I was introduced at a party or some social situation as a meditation teacher, people would often respond by saying, oh, I tried that once, I failed at it. Yeah. And we don't believe you can fail at it. You cannot have the wrong experience. Mm -hmm. You might have an uncomfortable experience, but you cannot do it wrong because everything is, it's not about what's happening. It's about how we're relating to what's happening. And so if I were to ask these people, why do you think you failed at it? Mm -hmm. They would likely say, I couldn't stop my thinking. I couldn't make my mind blank. I couldn't clear my mind. I couldn't have only beautiful thoughts. I couldn't (laughs) keep the sleepiness from arising. I couldn't keep the anxiety from arising, whatever it is. Remember, we're all about relationship. It's not about what's happening. It's about how we're relating to what's happening. And so um, that's a very hard thing to believe. It's it is, very and, different and no, from how we are. I think, I think once people do believe it, that, okay, I know what you're saying. It's time to sit and get quiet and notice our thoughts. Then that's the next level of resistance and scariness. Well, I don't want to know my thoughts, you know, and I don't want to sit with the feelings. I read this study. I don't have any, I'm going to paraphrase it, but um, it came out during the pandemic that people would rather get a shock that's mm-hmm. really painful than sit alone with their thoughts for like four minutes. Yeah, yeah. And, there was some gender difference, in, by the way. Oh, interesting. In study, there's the University of Virginia. and Let me uh, guess, women can sit with their thoughts better? Yeah. <laughs> I'm just saying, you know, was, I also, I thought about, you know, so many people, not everyone, of course, has been isolated in this yeah. situation. 
Some people have been working every day. Some people live in, you know, different kinds of situations. But for the people who have been alone, kind of alone with their thoughts, I thought of that study right away, you know, and yeah. how hard it would be. Um, because here too, you know, you're not sort of like thrown in the deep end and plunging into like looking at your thoughts and you're all shocked and embarrassed and freaked out, you know. It's like we learn certain skills. We learn skills of being kind to ourselves. Mm-hmm. No matter what we're going through, we learn skills of having more presence and balance, which is really the whole key. You know, it's like, because we so often can't insist on changing what's coming up. It's like, you can't wake up in the morning and say, I'm not going to get anxious all day today. I refuse. Right. You know, I mean, we learn certain conditioning elements. We learn, well, it it's stronger if I don't sleep or if I eat, you know, 18 pounds of sugar for breakfast, whatever it is, you know? Yeah. And so we can affect conditions, but we can't control them and say, well, I've decided, you know, is that going to come up today? Yeah. Because we don't know. And so learning how to relate to, let's just say, anxiety that's already arisen, Mm -hmm. how not to maybe cascade and dive deep into it and also not fight it and hate it and hate yourself for it. That's the whole skills training. Anxiety Bites will be right back after a quick little message from one of our sponsors. From BBC Radio 4, Britain's biggest paranormal podcast is going on a road trip. I thought in that moment, oh my God, we've summoned something from this board. This is Uncanny USA. He says, somebody's in the house. And I screamed. Listen to Uncanny USA wherever you get your BBC podcasts. If you dare. Hey, my name's Jay Shetty, and I'm the host of On Purpose. I just had a great conversation with Michael B. Jordan, and you can listen to it right now. Michael is known for his performances in both film and television. His breakout role was in Fruitvale Station, playing Oscar Grant, which earned him widespread praise and numerous award nominations. His portrayal of Killmonger in Marvel's Black Panther, one of my favorites, further solidified his status as one of Hollywood's leading actors, earning him widespread acclaim for his complex and compelling performance. In our conversation, Michael really opens up. You're going to love listening to it, and I can't wait for you to check it out. The closest to getting what you want is always the hardest. It's always the feeling when you're getting ready to, you know, people give up right before they get what they've always wanted to get. People quit. Listen to On Purpose with Jay Shetty on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcast, or wherever you get your podcasts. Bring a little optimism into your life with The Bright Side, a new kind of daily podcast from Hello Sunshine, hosted by me, Danielle Robay, and me, Simone Boyce. Every weekday, we're bringing you conversations about culture, the latest trends, inspiration, and so much more. Thank you for taking the light, and you're going to shine it all over the world, and it makes me really happy. I never imagined that I would get the chance to carry this honor and help be a part of this legacy. Listen to The Bright Side on America's number one podcast network, iHeart. Open your free iHeart app and search The Bright Side. The best conversations I have with my colleagues are the ones that happen when no one is looking, when we're not 100% sure yet what to write. Hopefully, having conversations like this can help you figure out your own point of view. That's kind of our job as Washington Post opinions columnists. I'm Charles Lane, Deputy Opinion Editor. 
And I'm Amanda Ripley, a contributing columnist. We're going to bring you into these conversations on a new podcast called Impromptu. Follow Impromptu now, wherever you listen. Snakes, zombies, sharks, heights, speaking in public. The list of fears is endless. But while you're clutching your blanket in the dark, wondering if that sound in the hall was actually a footstep, the real danger is in your hand when you're behind the wheel. And while you might think a great white shark is scary, what's really terrifying and even deadly is distracted driving. Eyes forward. Don't drive distracted. Brought to you by NHTSA and the Ad Council. Where I find meditation goes really beautifully with cognitive therapy is in cognitive behavior therapy, they'll tell you don't believe your thoughts, don't follow your thought. You know, just because you think um, that it seems like a really good day for a nuclear war to break out doesn't mean it's going to, or you're convinced the plane you're on is going to crash. And and you and I have this in, in common. This is a quote from, from you that I read um, that you said, many are made anxious by not knowing, but I am afraid of the things I believe to be certain. The plane is going to crash. My car is going to break down. Whether the anxiety comes from the certainty that we are right or the despair that nothing is going to ever work, um, we want to give this high energy a big space so it no longer bounces off the walls of the mind. So is the big space meditation in that sense? Yeah, you know, I'm, I mean, there's so many different approaches. And I think, you know, I think an important thing is not to um, make the experiment with a kind of mind of pass-fail. Yeah. You know, because some approaches work right now and may not work tomorrow, or they may not work today. They might work tomorrow. Or, you know, you try something and it doesn't really seem to bring you more balance. Okay. It, it's not because you have a character flaw or you need remedial work or, you know, right. you're so far gone that it's, it's unthinkable. It's like that particular approach isn't working right now. Um, because what we're trying to do is really bring some balance into our being. And balance doesn't mean flatness in terms of our experience. Yeah. It means like the holding environment. Yeah. Is open, spacious, as you said, um, connected. You know, so we're talking about the the environment within which mm-hmm. all these things are going to arise and pass away. And balance always looks different. You know, mm-hmm. like some days we're um, way too far back from what we're feeling, and we need to kind of come forward a little bit and and feel it. And yeah. other days we're way too enmeshed and overwhelmed by what we're feeling and we need to center a bit you know and get some space and and so balance is always going to look different some things they'll just be useful on some days and it's okay if they don't work you know you try something else so one of the approaches is really around that holding environment you know and it's it's learning to relate with presence with balance with kindness no matter what's going on most meditation practices you're just aware of the breath anyhow it's appearing you know yeah right uh, ragged or smooth or it doesn't matter you know you're just paying attention but there are ways of breathing that are, are consciously uh changing the, the pattern of the breath and um so they say for example if your out breath is longer than your in breath the parasympathetic nervous system will start taking over from the sympathetic nervous system you'll just chill, you know? Mm-hmm. And yeah. 
and you'll feel much more relaxed. And so um, there are a lot of fancy ways of doing that. Like you breathe into the count of four and you hold for four and you breathe out for the count of eight, but it doesn't really matter. The only thing that matters is that your out breath be longer than your in breath. And, and one of the things I think um, that's very useful around that approach is that it takes away the stigma from what you're feeling. It's like your nervous system is wired a certain way for whatever reason. Maybe it's a more recent event. Maybe it's, you know, some other reason. But, um, you know, the the shame and the embarrassment and the freaked outedness and all Mm -hmm. those other things that we tend to add, they don't need to be here. And so you realize, oh, you know, the very fundamental thing is the first it's the holding environment because then you can approach anything you're experiencing yeah, and see if you might bring it into balance. And then the second is like really useful tools. Well, you know, the, the parasympathetic nervous system thing is so interesting because I, I found that once I learned about that, it really calmed me down. It's, it's nice to know that it's physical and that it's not my fault and that yeah. I'm making it worse by thinking I'm so unique. Um, and I came up with something. Maybe I didn't. I mean, I think I did. I'm sure other people have thought this. But the way that I think about it is when my sympathetic nervous system is freaking out and thinking it's protecting me by racing my heart and giving me this shallow breathing feeling, I know that it's time to get the parasympathetic nervous system going. And the way I think about it is the paramedics are coming and they exist in my body like I don't have to call anyone. They're already here. They just have to be woken up and told it's time to get to work. So that's my little trick. Anything silly where I talk to myself like I'm a kid almost really takes me out of my Mm -hmm, brain mm -hmm, in that moment, mm -hmm, you know? mm -hmm. Um, So getting to breathing, will you tell me and our listeners about the kind of meditation that you study, practice, teach? Uh, Actually, I teach two main kinds of meditation. One is mindfulness, which I can talk about in a minute. And the other is called loving kindness, where, uh, you know, rather than say resting our attention on the feeling of the breath, we're silently repeating certain phrases like, may you be happy, may you be peaceful. It's like gift giving or generosity of the spirit. Yeah. And one of the things that particular approach to meditation does is it takes that energy and it channels it. Mm Mm-hmm. You know, because let's say anxiety is a very high energy state and energy is not bad. It's just it's out of balance in that situation, you know? Yeah. And it's it's taking that energy and, and actually giving it a place to go, which is into kindness toward ourselves or to, toward others. And so uh, I know, for example, I have friends who have terrible insomnia and rather than lie in bed and fret, they'll do loving kindness meditation. And can you take us through what those phrases typically are? Mm-hmm. Uh, usually, classically, you start with yourself. Mm-hmm. And so it might be, and remember, this is like um, gift giving or offering. It might be something like, may I be safe or feel safe. May I be safe, be happy, be healthy, live with ease. Live with ease means in the things of day-to-day life like livelihood or family, may not be such a struggle. May I live with ease? So sometimes people say to me, because of the may I or may you, like, who am I asking? Well, you're not asking anybody anything. You're offering. It's like you hand someone a birthday card and you say, may you have a great year. 
Mm. So you're almost offering it to yourself. Is yeah. that, is that what you, yeah. to begin with. We offer it to ourselves and then uh, classically we'd offer it to a variety of different beings. I say beings because it might be like a puppy or something, you know? Yeah. Not a person. Um, and it might be, you know, somebody you really uh, care for. Someone who's helped you, someone you feel grateful for. It might be, and then, you know, we go through a progression uh, depending on how much time you have and what fits in, in yeah. that sort of middle place. Uh, a very classic um, example would be someone we call a neutral person. That's somebody we don't especially like or dislike. You may not even know their name. Mm-hmm. And so, in effect, we're saying what happens when you look at them rather than through them, like maybe safe, maybe happy. Mm-hmm. Um and so uh, the beginning is, is commonly oneself. The very end is all beings everywhere, all of life. And what you do in the middle might change every time you do it. I've done some guided ones. I've done some of yours. And I, I really love the loving kindness. I, I did it um, when I was having a lot of pain and anxiety after a breakup. And I know that one of the options is to offer, may you be happy and live with ease to someone that's hurt you and that, you know, mm-hmm. And that you can actually talk about noticing feelings. When that person comes up, you can feel your body tightening. And then after doing the loving kindness offering to them, I feel like I'm melting. And and it, I always, and now maybe this isn't true, but I always think when we offer the loving kindness to someone that maybe has hurt us or that is difficult for us to think about, is it really like technically still a backdoor to offering it to ourselves? Does that make sense? Mm-hmm. Yeah, totally. In this book, Loving Kindness, you wrote, it is fear of pain that provokes and sustains this um, splitting off of parts of ourselves. To avoid feeling pain, we shut out crucial portions of awareness, even though this closing off, this internal separation is deadening. And then later you say the fear of pain that we tried to escape becomes, in fact, our constant companion. What's a better constant companion? Well, compassion. Well, let's, try, let's try compassion for ourselves and for others. You know, and a lot of times people have the conditioning and the belief that compassion is kind of weak and weakening, but really it's a tremendous strength. And, um, you know, I'm told that there are all kinds of performance studies, for example, that have been done that show like a harsh, punitive environment, either internal, the way we react to having made a mistake or something mm-hmm. like that, or external will spike our performance, but briefly, then we'll crash. That actually the most effective, efficient way to change a habit, to learn something new, to make progress in something is actually self-compassion. You realize I blew it. It's part of the human condition. What can I learn? Let's move on, which is different than I'm here. I'm so bad. I'm so awful. I'm so terrible. We'll be right back. I'm Katia Adler, host of The Global Story. Over the last 25 years, I've covered conflicts in the Middle East, political and economic crises in Europe, drug cartels in Mexico. Now I'm covering the stories behind the news all over the world in conversation with those who break it. Join me Monday to Friday to find out what's happening, why, and what it all means. Follow the global story from the BBC wherever you listen to podcasts. Hey, my name's Jay Shetty, and I'm the host of On Purpose. 
I just had a great conversation with Michael B. Jordan and you can listen to it right now. Michael is known for his performances in both film and television. His breakout role was in Fruitvale Station, playing Oscar Grant, which earned him widespread praise and numerous award nominations. His portrayal of Killmonger in Marvel's Black Panther, one of my favorites, further solidified his status as one of Hollywood's leading actors, earning him widespread acclaim for his complex and compelling performance. In our conversation, Michael really opens up. You're going to love listening to it, and I can't wait for you to check it out. The closest to getting what you want is always the hardest. It's always the feeling when you're getting ready. To, you know, People give up right before they get what they've always wanted to get. People quit. Listen to On Purpose with Jay Shetty on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcast, or wherever you get your podcasts. Bring a little optimism into your life with The Bright Side, a new kind of daily podcast from Hello Sunshine, hosted by me, Danielle Robay, and me, Simone Boyce. Every weekday, we're bringing you conversations about culture, the latest trends, inspiration, and so much more. Thank you for taking the light, and you're going to shine it all over the world, and it makes me really happy. I never imagined that I would get the chance to carry this honor and help be a part of this legacy. Listen to The Bright Side on America's number one podcast network, iHeart. Open your free iHeart app and search The Bright Side. The 2024 presidential campaign features two candidates who are very well-known to Americans, and yet, there's complexity at every turn. Criminal trials for one of those candidates. Young voters who are angry. The Campaign Moment podcast from The Washington Post gives you what matters. I'm Aaron Blake, and I'm covering my 10th election cycle. My colleagues and I have insights that you won't find anywhere else. So follow the Campaign Moment right now, wherever you're listening. Welcome to Season 9 of Next Question with me, Katie Couric. It is 2024. And we're going to get through this together, folks. My campaign promise to all of you here on Next Question is going to be a good time the whole time, we hope. I have some big news to share with you in our season premiere featuring Kris Jenner, who's got some words of wisdom for me on being a good grandmother or, in her case, a good lovey. You know, you start thinking of what you want your grandmother name to be. Like, are they going to call me grandma like I called my grandmother? So I got to choose my name, which is now lovey. I'll also be joined by Hillary Clinton, Renee Fleming, Liz Cheney, to name a few. So come on in and take a break from the incessant negativity for a weekly dose of fascinating conversations. Some of them, I promise, will actually put you in a good mood. I loved it. Your energy and joy. I'm squeezing every minute I can for you out of this season of Next Question. Last question, I promise. You have to go. I have to go. (laughs) But it's been so fun. And I can't wait for you to hear it. Listen to Next Question with me, Katie Couric, on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Hi, it's me, Jen, just popping in at the halfway point here. I hope you're enjoying my talk with Sharon Salzberg. But let's just recap what we've learned so far. So if there's five takeaways from what Sharon said, in my opinion, it's First one is you'll find the difference meditation makes in your life. Don't worry about what you're experiencing in the five to 20 minutes of your meditation. Secondly, neuroscientists say that meditating for even just seven to nine minutes a day, every day for a month can make positive changes in your brain. Three, you cannot fail at meditation. Four, meditation is not about what's happening, but about how we're relating to what's happening. Five, anxiety is a high energy state. And that energy is not bad. 
It's just out of balance. So in the second half of this interview, I am talking to Sharon about her relationship to anxiety and how exactly do we do this mindfulness thing? And Sharon's been meditating for 50 years and she can still fall into catastrophic thinking. And, you know, she didn't meditate herself out of the human condition. And so in this next part, she talks about how all of us need to give ourselves a break and stop beating up on ourselves and realize there is nothing wrong with us. Here we go. You want to talk about mindfulness? Mindfulness. So tell, yeah, so take me through, you know, the, the history of your history of getting into meditation and, and, and then, of course, what, what exactly is a mindfulness meditation? Okay, so I went to India, I love these many years ago. Mm-hmm. I went to India in 1970 as a junior in college um, in order to study meditation. I had an independent study project uh, approved by the university to go to India and study meditation. And that was because when I was a sophomore the year before, I'd taken an Asian philosophy class. And really, honestly, as far as I can remember, it was just happenstance. Like, mm-hmm. it was on Tuesday. That's convenient. Let me do that one. Uh, and there I was. And the course totally changed my life. And that was, I think, twofold. One was, um, I, like many people, had had a very traumatic, uh, painful childhood. And like for many people, my family system was one where this was never, ever spoken about. And so I didn't know what to do with all of those feelings inside of me. And and then, you know, I got to college and was taking this class and they were talking about the Buddha and, and his kind of lifting up of the suffering that's in life, saying, this is a part of life. This is inevitable. This is natural. And what mm. that translated to in my head was, oh, you're not so weird. Yeah. You actually belong. You're a part of things. This is just a part of life. And and so the tremendous isolation I had felt all along, that was changed. And then I heard in that class that there were these methods, there were techniques, there were tools that people actually used called meditation. And if you practice them, you could be a whole lot happier and so one of the, the styles you teach is mindfulness, which yeah. is it based in, in the Buddhist tradition? Is yeah. It? yeah. Okay. I mean, it it's a funny thing, you know, like I say, yes, very quickly, but like the first night of my first retreat, so January 7th, 1971, the teacher was SN Goenka. It was uh, an intensive 10-day like immersion course in meditation. And that first night he said, the Buddha did not teach Buddhism. The Buddha taught a way of life. This is in no way about becoming a Buddhist or rejecting anything else. It's just about the power of your own awareness. And so, like, that was the first night. You know, that was really yeah. my foundational teaching. And I, I've always believed it. I've always taught that way myself. Yeah. So a lot of the imagery I use, often I might say, um, according to the Buddhist psychology, or, you know, but yep. it, it's not about Buddhism, which is kind of a fake term anyway. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, it's about the power of one's own mind. It's just that, is, you know, I spent those years like learning within that context. And so the imagery, the stories uh, that come most easily for me is, is expressing it that way. One of the phrases we use to describe mindfulness and what we do in meditation is like, look for the add-ons. Oh, that's you know, great. Yeah. It's not just this experience. It's what we're also adding on to it. 
what's it going to feel like tomorrow? I'm the only one in the whole world. This is all my fault, you know? And mm-hmm. we're just piling on. And so we're left trying to hold this like superstructure we have created. And it's so hard. Uh, it's hard enough, you know, like, I mean, the story I usually tell to describe this is um, I was teaching with my friend Joseph somewhere once and Joseph and I were sitting in the kitchen having a cup of tea and someone came in in some distress and said to Joseph, I just had this really terrible experience. So Joseph said, what happened? And he said, I felt all this tension in my jaw and I realized what an incredibly uptight person I am and how I always have been and I always will be. So Joseph (laughs) said, you mean you felt a lot of tension in your jaw? And he said, yes, and I've never been able to get close to people and it's never going to (laughs) change. Joseph said, you mean you felt a lot of tension in your jaw? It was really interesting for me, like watching them go back and forth and back and forth and back and forth. And finally, Joseph said to him, why are you adding a miserable self-image to a painful experience? It's actually painful enough just to feel the tension in your jaw but now you're going to be alone for the rest of your life. Yeah. You know, so we would say, look for the add-ons. That's such a great, simple way to put it. I love that. So now take me through, for me, take me through what, what, so you say to someone, you should meditate. Not that you would say that to someone, but someone says to someone, you should meditate. Just try it, two minutes. Now, what are they going to do? They sit down and they're noticing their breath and what the heck does that mean? And what is, what is that? Okay, so um, in a uh, just to lay a, a bigger context to mindfulness, usually the way it's practiced, I mean, the essence of it is what we just were talking about, like being mm-hmm. with our experience, whatever it is, without so many of the add-ons intruding. They may arise, but they're not hanging around because you're not grabbing onto them, you know? Yeah. So um, that's where we're getting to. So in the process, often we choose what's called a primary object. That's the home base. That's where we're going to start. That's what we're going to keep coming back to. But we're not there all the time, right? Um, but it's, it is like home base. So usually, very commonly, that's the feeling of the breath. It's actually the sensations of the normal breath, unlike different yoga practices where you might be breathing you know, in one nostril and out the other or It's very intentional. This is just the breath, however it's happening. Um, And so we have an object like the feeling of the breath. We rest our attention on that object. And then little dwippy things happen, you know, thoughts, hearing, things like that. But we're connected to the breath, so we just let them go by. And then something happens that's much stronger. You have this wave of joy, this wave of anger. Um, or, you know, a strong physical sensation. So that becomes the new object of interest or awareness. We just recognize, oh, this is what's happening right now. And then we see if we can let go and come back to, let's say, the feeling of the breath. And then there are many, many times we're just gone. It's like we have no idea how we ended up thinking about Portugal, you know, or whatever, (laughs) Uh, you know, or we fall asleep. And those are important moments, too, because the suggestion is, well, don't freak out. Don't judge yourself. It's really okay. See Mm. if you can let go gently and with a lot of compassion for yourself, just start again. So we let go and we begin again and we let go 
and we begin again. And that's the most fundamental movement of the entire practice. And I think it's the most useful thing I ever learned in meditation. Well, yeah, how many I, yeah. times a day do we have to do that? As one of my early teachers said, if you're breathing, you can be meditating. Mm. Um, the second reason is that, as this one teacher said to me, which I just thought was very charming, he says very portable. <laughs> yeah. We also practice, say, that 12 minutes a day, to give a her due. Let's say we practice 12 minutes a day, sitting formally in a dedicated way, and we're using the breath as that primary object or home base, the place we come back to when we've just wandered off, uh, the place we get rest at. We just rest our attention on the feeling of the breath. Um, and then we're at work or we're commuting. You know, maybe we're once again with a group of people surrounding us and somebody's getting angry and we're getting anxious. And, you know, you can't really like open up your closet door and pull out all this equipment or start playing music or, you know, to soothe <laughs> right. yourself, but you can be breathing. Mm-hmm. Right. And it's perfectly private. Nobody even has to know you're doing it. Yeah. You know, and you have a way of coming back to yourself, recentering, coming back to the moment. And when we do that, when we come back to ourselves in that way, we come back to our values. We come back to what we really care about or our priorities. So the third aspect of the breath after being universal and portable is that it's said to be fairly neutral. You know, um, and so much of what arises in meditation is beautiful and wondrous and exhilarating. And so much can be difficult and un expected too and mm-hmm. and then we have the breath where we can just chill yeah right so uh if you're not going to use the breath as a primary object and that's totally fine you don't have to um then see if you can find something else that satisfies those other criteria you know people use like the sensation of their hands touching or uh different touch points in the body where they're already in contact or there are lots of options for yeah. things to use. So it, it really does not have to be the breath. I want to just end on one thing. Um, do you have a relationship to anxiety today? You know, what is it today, um, if, if any? Um, I think there are many uh, different aspects to that as well. You know, um, I have a friend who describes herself as a, recovering catastrophizer, you mm. know, and so, um, and I can relate to that, you know, uh, but that was what drove her to meditation practice was because she was haunted by these, as she said, I'm the kind of person she's like in her eighties now. Mm. Uh, so her adult children are really adults. Uh, she said, I'm the kind of person who call one of my children and they don't answer the phone. So I think, well, they must be dead. She said, I never think they're taking a shower or they just <laughs> fell in love. They don't feel like talking to their mother, you know. It's like, <laughs> they must be dead. But now she has those thoughts and she laughs at them, you know. And, or she has a much greater ability. And as she put it, which is true, mm-hmm. if something really is a problem, I'm like a rock. I can do anything. So, uh you know, she's been very strong in this truly terrible time. And uh, I think a lot of catastrophizers actually had an easy time with the pandemic because it's like, is this all? Oh, I've imagined way worse than this, you know? Yeah, that's fantastic. I hadn't really thought <laughs> why, but 
you know, and I feel yeah. like, I feel like as a, um, I mean, as a wave, you know, and everyone's different, of course, but I mean, I know people who had enormous anxiety in the beginning of, um, you know, March, say 2020 and, and have been incredibly strong and, and also people who've learned a lot, you know, about their expectations and the things that, you know, talk about perfectionism, you know, people, not, not just now, but forever have said yeah. to me, I should be doing better. You know, I don't know why I'm so freaked out. I'm so lucky or I, yeah. I don't, you know, why aren't I grateful or I don't know, you know, what, what's wrong with me? Like I can't cope and the way everyone else can. And that happened to me once this woman was saying things like that to me years ago and I said, I want you to write me a list of everything you've been through this year. And mm. she chose instead to draw it instead of write it out. And it was horrendous, you know. It was like, <laughs> my house burnt down. My cat died. My brother and I got estranged. And it, was, it was like, well, let's read this. Let's look at this together, you know. Like, yeah, give yourself a break, please, you know. And that's sort of my main message. God, I love that woman. Thank you guys for listening to today's episode of Anxiety Bites. And I got five more takeaways for you from what we just learned from Sharon. So one, if you're breathing, you can be meditating. Meditation is portable. Number two, are you telling yourself an untrue story? Look for the add-ons. They may arise, but if you don't grab onto them, they're not going to hang around. Three, the most important part of a meditation is the moment where you recognize, oh, this is what's happening right now. And then see if you can let it go and come back to the feeling of the breath. Four, don't judge yourself. It's really okay. Let go gently with a lot of compassion for yourself and just start again. We let go and we begin again. And that is the most fundamental mo movement of the entire practice. I'm not going to judge myself for that, saying that word wrong. I'm not even going to delete it and start over. That's it. I made, I said movement wrong. And five, give yourselves a break. Give yourselves a break. Again, all of Sharon's work can be found through the links in the show notes. And again, a lot of her meditations are free. So there you go. If you've never thought about meditating before, maybe this episode was the kick in the ass that you needed, or maybe you just enjoyed listening. Either way, I can't see what you're doing, so no judgment from me. I'll talk to you soon. Anxiety bites, but don't forget... You're in control. For more podcasts from iHeartRadio, visit the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you listen to your favorite shows. I'm Katia Adler, host of The Global Story. Over the last 25 years, I've covered conflicts in the Middle East, political and economic crises in Europe, drug cartels in Mexico. Now I'm covering the stories behind the news all over the world in conversation with those who break it. Join me Monday to Friday to find out what's happening, why, and what it all means. Follow the global story from the BBC wherever you listen to podcasts. Hey, I'm Jay Shetty, and I'm the host of the On Purpose podcast, and I had the opportunity to talk to one of Hollywood's major icons, Michael B. Jordan. In our conversation, Michael shares the highs, the lows, and everything in between, offering a genuine glimpse into his world. The closest 
to getting what you want is always the hardest. People give up right before they get what they've always wanted to get. Listen to On Purpose with Jay Shetty on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. The Therapy for Black Girls podcast is your space to explore mental health, personal development, and all the small decisions we can make to become the best possible versions of ourselves. I'm your host, Dr. Joy Harden-Bradford, a licensed psychologist in Atlanta, Georgia. And I can't wait for you to join the conversation every Wednesday. Listen to the Therapy for Black Girls podcast on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Take good care, and we'll see you there. My whole life, I've been told this one story about my family, about how my great-great-grandmother was killed by the mafia back in Sicily. I was never sure if it was true, so I decided to find out. And even though my Uncle Jimmy told me I'd only be making the vendetta worse, I'm going to Sicily anyway. Come to Italy with me to solve this 100-year-old murder mystery. Listen to The Sicilian Inheritance on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Bring a little optimism into your life with The Bright Side, a new kind of daily podcast from Hello Sunshine. Hosted by me, Danielle Robay, And me, Simone Boyce. Every weekday, we're bringing you conversations about culture, the latest trends, inspiration, and so much more. I am so excited about this podcast, The Bright Side. You guys are giving people a chance to shine a light on their lives, shine a light on a little advice that they want to share. Listen to The Bright Side on America's number one podcast network, iHeart. Open your free iHeart app and search The Bright Side.